It's time to lead the people. The show for aspiring leaders at every level. If you want to boost your self-confidence, get noticed, and maximize your impact by leading others, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Matt Pepsel. Ready to lead? Follow me. My very special guest has always been drawn to varied activities, including running, hiking, gardening, photography, writing, and travel. Rather than seek mastery, she's happiest while learning about any hobby, topic, or task that grabs her attention and interest. She and her husband became the proud keepers of 10,000 bees in April of 2020. She is Shannon Del Vecchio. Welcome to the show, Shannon. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. And again, a humble beekeeper that is eager to share the limited knowledge that I have. Oh, it's going to be fantastic because I have zero knowledge about beekeeping. And uh, <laughs> we're going to have so much fun today learning about the leadership lessons of bees somehow. Not sure exactly how, but we're going to figure it out. So let's get started with this. When you, What led you to try your hand at beekeeping? How did you get started? Well, as you mentioned, and to be perfectly honest, it was actually my husband who was initially interested in the beekeeping. Um, back in 2019, he had learned about a beekeeping school run by the Plymouth County Beekeepers. Um, it takes place the beginning of each year, uh, sells out, very popular group. They meet every other week from January through April you know, covering every topic from equipment, colony organization, inspecting your hive, uh, whatnot. So luckily for me, when COVID hit in March 2020, the classes, like most things in the world, switched from in-person to Zoom calls. So um, I got to be the nosy spouse and kind of listen in on it all. Um, I was completely intrigued from the start. Um, and just a full confession, you know, the COVID was bringing out that inner homesteader in me. So um, I was asking more questions probably than he wanted to hear, um, but I bought into it. I was game. I think that's our first tie. And I think there's, it sounds like there's a lot to learn when it comes, you don't just say, hey, I'm just going to dabble with this. And there's a lot to learn up front about uh, how to do beekeeping, it sounds like. Absolutely. And, it, and it's a, you will always be continuing the learning process. There it is. That, that definitely resonates with, with me when I think about leadership. And I think after you started to learn about your new hobby, I saw on Facebook that you had made an observation that I think a lot of my listeners can probably relate to. You had mentioned to one of your followers that while there were pl plenty of uh, online forums about beekeeping, you had said you can get 25 different answers to one simple question. And it's recommended that you find a local mentor. So can you tell us a little bit more about that phenomenon of you know, being able to inundate it with information, but lots of different ways to do the same thing. Sure. Um, the running joke with beekeepers is if you ask 10 beekeepers one question, you'll get 11 answers. So, <laughs> and it doesn't matter if they're new to beekeeping or they've been involved for many years. Um, in addition, there's always that that disclaimer or an answer before every question begins with, well, it depends. Um, so I was thinking about this. I'm like, why is that? And it's just, there's so many factors that go into successful beekeeping. Um, you need to understand the nature and the habits of the bees. You need to make sure your hive is located in the proper, um, position in your yard or the proper surroundings. You have to manage the beehive, you know, during all these different seasons under various conditions, circumstances, whatnot. So you just have such a host of variables going. 
Um, and you know, what might work for me on the coast in southeastern Massachusetts is completely different from my family down in Georgia. Um, and along those lines, probably the most challenging part of beekeeping that I find is that you cannot pinpoint the one action that fixed or changed a situation. You know, I am literally blind to the colony's behavior as they go about their work inside in complete darkness. Um, and I guess just to give, you know, your listeners an example of this, as we're preparing for winter right now, um, there's an ideal positioning of frames in your hive. And if you think of it as a first floor of your house and a second floor of your house, that second floor is where we're going to keep all of our honey. You want to go in with all 10 of those frames um, full of honey, and that's our food. And then your first floor is where you're going to have, you know, some food that's readily available kind of on your frames one and two, nine and 10, let's say. And the rest is where your bees are going to live and where they're going to have their little baby bees and their, and their little brood, um, whatnot. So my question is, and I had to look it up, was, well, if I have some brood up in, on the second floor, do I bring it down? Will the queen continue to go upstairs to the second floor to have her babies and come down? But it's not good for the hive. So do you rearrange it? So long story short, um, you do rearrange it because you're really trying to optimize the conditions for the survival of the hive. And those are small manipulations that they will benefit from. Um, but you know, there were probably five different opinions on what I should do, when I should do it, how I should do it, if I should be on my right foot, my left foot, you know, you name it. So um, it's just yeah. a lot of a lot of variables. I think that and a lot of parallels, I think, to leadership. So you talked about the optimal conditions for the hive and, and for the colony to be able to, to do their jobs. And that's what we're called upon to do as leaders, too. But there's so many variables. And what works for you in one situation might not work with you in the next or company to company, just like climate to climate, as you shared in Georgia versus Massachusetts, can be can be quite different. And you'll get a lot of opinions about what to do right and wrong. So, and also uh, the impact it has, not the immediate impact, but also thinking long term. Mm -hmm. And if the shift is going to be for the good long term, we need to do it now. Yeah. And that's where I think you're you're creating the conditions for success, right? When you're talking about as the beekeeper, that's your your role is to try to do your best without being inside the hive, you're trying to understand what's going on with the colony and, and really set them up to you know, survive the winter and then have a successful you know time of it. Yeah. That is the hope. <laughs> that is the hope. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention to the bees themselves. Uh, when you think about it, in your post, you share this um this constant status update around the colony's temperament. I love this. I love this. And so you've used terms to describe how's the colony's temperament using terms such as calm, busy, a bit feisty, aggressive, and even crazy. So what are some of the conditions that contribute to the colony's temperament when you're giving them these status updates at any given time? Um, yeah, this is always a bit of a wild card. And um, we find that we typically will inspect a hive on a Saturday or Sunday when we have a little more um, freedom with our time, because there are a lot of conditions. Later in the day is, is more ideal than early in the day. Um, I, I kind of think of bees almost like teenagers. They don't like to get up too early. They want to make sure the sun is out and things have warmed up and those conditions are kind of ideal to go outside. 
So if I wait till later in the day, I hope most of my forages are outside, you know, gathering nectar or pollen or whatever they're doing. Um, you don't want it to be windy. You don't want it to be cold. It needs to be ideal weather conditions. Um, on top of it, you also need to think about where in the cycle are we? Right now, if I were to go out there, they would probably be a little testy with me. Um, one, it's getting cold, so they're getting a little grumpy. Two, we're going into winter, so any anything that's in the hive as far as honey, they are protecting that, knowing that that is the, their survival. That is how they get through the winter, and I'm a perceived threat. Um, so they're going to kind of try to shoo me away. Um, but something and it's it's interesting, the whole uh, I, I do recall using the word aggressive. And I went back and when I thought about that, I misspoke. And that was also my first year of beekeeping. Not that year two really created all this vast knowledge. Um, but it's so interesting because when I thought about it a little bit deeper, I realized that bees actually there's a huge difference between an aggressive bee and maybe a calm, busy, feisty, feisty, defensive bee. And you also see that in personalities and humans and learning to work with these variables. Um, but an aggressive bee, the more I kind of read into it, is something that's more genetically a part of the bee. Um, and that's that bee that is going to come after you without being provoked. You know, they buzz you in the yard when you're not even near the hive. It's like, what is going on? You know, they're bouncing off your veil, they're clinging to your suit, they're attacking the hive tool. Um, and even once you, you close the hive back up after the inspection and you thankfully have kind of walked away, there's still those pesky ones that are bothering you. Um, so that's more genetic and a bit of, I guess, a personality defect. <laughs> um, but then on that flip side, you have the defensive bee and how I was just describing. Their survival relies on protecting their hive. Um, but as a beekeeper, this is where my skills come in. If I can be calm, if I can be confident, if I go in with experience or ideally all three of those, um, I'm not waving my hands over the frames as I'm inspecting it. I'm not clanking the frames. You know, I'm taking them out smoothly. I'm not brushing them against each other. Um, the bees won't sting. I'm not a threat to them. And they're more concerned about keeping their hive up and running and going about their business. Um, so when you think about that, you know, a calm is, I'm not, it's probably a high nectar flow. They're, they are happy as can be. They're productive. They have single-minded tacit hand, you know, bring home the nectar. Um, similar situation on those sunny, warm, mild days. Um, they're going about their business. You know, but if I try to inspect the hive before winter, when it's getting colder and it's windy, they will definitely be defensive. It's amazing. I think there's so many parallels to, you know, the, the, what can affect the team. So if you think about the environment that we found ourselves in, let's go back to like February of, of, uh, of 2019, 2020. I mean, and all of a sudden, you know, teams are doing pretty well. And then the pandemic hits. And now all of a sudden the conditions that you couldn't control for as a leader changed. And now mm -hmm. you know, there's a threat. And there's dynamic changes everywhere. And so how do you restore order? How do you, you know, to your point about not bump the hive, how do we, how do we, you know, start to interact with the bees in a way that's going to keep them calm so that they don't trigger those defensive mechanisms, 
Like it, it constantly is a fluctuating situation. There are times after, let's say that your company buys another company. Well, that's going to be a very unsettling event. That's going to be something you have to be mindful about as a leader as you're working through some things. Other times, you know, it's the nectar time. Teams are doing well. Performance numbers are good. Everybody's gelling. Those are great times and they, they're fun. They never seem to last long enough, but they're, they're, it's, there seem to be a lot of parallels. Absolutely. And Matt, you're doing an awesome job linking these together. I love it. It's funny. It's it's amazing. I, I can tell. Like, I didn't know. I definitely don't know much about bees at all. But one thing I've always known about them, I, I can't remember where we learned about it, but it was something about uh, communication. And when I thought about it, that's an easy tie in for me because leadership is all about communication. So what can you tell us about how bees communicate? How do they communicate so much complex information because they're, they're tiny little bees? Yeah, well, the two there are two primary ways that they communicate. Um, one is through smell, which probably we can't draw as many parallels here because I don't think at work we're really, you know, cued into odor. The primary way that the bee community mainly uses for communication is through dance. Um, and you'll see this especially through your worker bees, which is the majority of your population. Um, the worker bees are female bees. Um, the males are your drones. Um, unfortunately, they don't do a lot within the hive, but that's a whole side story. Um, but through the dance, for example, that's how they communicate, you know, it, and the workers, they're... It's actually, it's called the waggle dance, which is, I've always thought it was a very funny term. Um, but if they, exactly, but that dance, that's how they, you know, tell each other about nearby food sources or water or any other points of interest. Um, and as a bee, if I'm out and I have had this successful foraging trip, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna let the others know by doing my dance. And my dance can, be, I can go around and figure eight patterns. I can flap my wings. Um, the main thing is the angle of their body. They do it in relation to the sun, which basically draws a straight line to where this great nectar flow is or whatever my point of interest is. Hmm. Um, the really interesting thing about this and where it so comes into play is if a hive has gotten too big and it, it decides it wants to swarm, which means, you know, some of us need to go elsewhere. Again, we're always thinking of the good of the bigger, the hive. Um, there are little scout bees that go out and they go for, you know, kilometers around in all directions, all distances, and they're scouting out for this perfect new home. And as your scout bees come back, they're going to report back. I pictured this little gathering on the front board being like, okay, everyone gather around. And they start dancing and telling about their communication about where this is. And the more excited a scout bee gets, other bees will go out and they'll check out the this new location. And when they come back, if they're as excited, they start dancing as well. And it's almost like this little democracy that goes on. And finally, you have so many dancers that have all bought into this one site that the whole swarm says, great, we're out of here. Wow. Um, but it's all communicated through dance. Which is fascinating to me. It's fascinating considering how sophisticated it really is and, and how old bees are. I think that, so leaders obviously don't tend to secrete pheromones as they walk on the <laughs> office. 
more dance, hopefully, but uh, maybe a little, but uh, yeah, but there's definitely cues and there's ways. I love what you said when it's like, let the queen comes around and letting the bees know that she's present in the hive. And I think that that's something that excellent leaders do too. Like I'm here, my presence, maybe it's a, through a Slack message or, you know, through a talk that you give an appearance, stopping by somebody's desk and saying, you know, Hey, how, how are you doing these days? You know, especially in larger organizations. Cause you know, I don't think very many people have as many direct reports as, as the queen has bees in the hive, but you know, it's, it's a way that you have to really figure out how do I gain a lot of leverage and a lot of scale to my command. Right. And, and so that's pretty, pretty interesting to think about how that happens. And, and the, the other part about your, your story was the, the persuasion factor. I'm excited about something I found and I want you to be excited too. go check it out. And when we're excited now, it's got this, this, gravity that's happening and now this kind of snowball effect and that now we're ready to go find our new home that's that's incredible it's a complete buy-in process but everyone has a voice and the interesting thing too is that the queen is not the dictator and the that your colony actually can get to a point where they've decided the queen is failing us and we are actually going to prepare to replace her so there is this whole give and take within that, within that hive. Wow. So that definitely happens inside of, of human teams as well, to the extent that there's a, a sentiment that employees potentially will quit on their leader. Now, what they don't tend to do is overthrow them in a, <laughs> way. but they, but they quit. If they, if, they, if you've lost the the respect and the command of your your followers, then they're susceptible to saying, "I got a better offer. I wasn't really looking." They say things all the time, and uh, and what they're really saying is like, you know, you quit on me, so I quit on you. Right. So it, there's there's a lot more parallels than I had had even anticipated. I suspected that there would be, but it's it's really amazing. The other thing I love about what you said is that that she, the queen doesn't act like a dictator. It's like the good of the hive has to come first. It's a very uh, kind of selfless or servant leadership, we would call it, type of approach of saying what's best for my hive. And that's what I'm going to use in my communication, my my directives, you know, and the, and the, the hive taking care of itself. It's really impressive. It, it's a beautiful story if you really think about it. It's unbelievable. But uh, I tell you what, I, I wanted to uh, shift gears on you just a little bit. I, for all my guests, I like to write a fun game. And, and I thought, wow, this is going to be tough. How am I going to write a game for Shannon? And I did. I think I did it. Uh, we're going to find out one way or the other. I call it Hive Help Wanted. Oh, I want you to imagine that you're a bee. Unfortunately, you're unemployed, but you're looking for a job and you've got your tiny little classifies. You're flipping through it, right? Look for a job. So I'm going to describe various bee jobs, different hive duties. And you see if you can name the job, the name of the bee job that I'm trying to fill. Okay. This will be, this will be great. Okay. Scour a three mile radius from the hive, searching for suitable nectar and pollen, then return to the hive to drop off your bounty. And that is definitely my forager. That's your forager. Yeah, here's another one you've already mentioned. Sit around and eat honey all day. Leave the hive, mate with neighboring queens, and spread healthy genes. What's oh, that is our drone. That is our male that we have mentioned before, but we're not going to really get into the parallels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This one, this is a specific name. I don't know how common this name is, but carry out the hive's dead, clean up bee parts, and remove other debris. That's our undertaker. Yeah, an undertaker bee. Yeah, wow, that's like it's it's reality though, right? And the really interesting thing is, 
not one of them is really more important than the next. I mean, obviously foragers are important because they're supplying the hive with their food, but all of these tasks, and I think about even within the workforce that your janitor is as important as your administrator, as important as, you know, you go through the ranks, but they all play a key component in making a strong team or a strong yes. corporation or, you know, wherever you're going with it. But yeah. everybody's got a job to do. And a lot of my work with uh, team dynamics is that sometimes some of the jobs don't get it valued as highly and usually not as highly as the majority of the other people who have a different type of job. And that can cause all kinds of problems. But uh, OK, I only got two more for you. Here's one. OK. Stand watch over the hives entrances to keep intruders out, especially beekeepers. That is our guard. That is guard. Um, and actually, we just put on the hive um, an entrance reducer. Oh. So now that it's getting colder out, we don't want to overwork our bees. So we've reduced the entrance where it's only enough for kind of them to sneak in and out of. So it helps with the insulation. Um, and it also helps if other bees from other hives or yellow jackets or whatever are trying to rob, um, that you don't need as many guards there protecting. Oh, wow. um so very cool it is important okay here the, the last one is the toughest job but the easiest to guess ensure the future population of the entire hive by laying up to two thousand eggs per day crazy right that's our queen that's our queen um wow. and the queen does not fly once she is gone for her initial mating flight she might do one or two flights within her first i think it's within two or three weeks of birth um, she will mate with 12 or so of those drones that do finally get out of the hive and do something. Um, she comes back and she is as mated for life as she will ever be. Wow. Um, so she will then stay in the hive. The only time she will ever leave the hive again is if the hive has gotten, or the colony has gotten too large. Um, and her attendees will start, um, withholding food from her so she can lighten up and they can take her and she can fly away to a new home. Wow. Um, so very interesting. She's it, fascinating. It is fascinating. fascinating. These are absolutely fascinating. It, I think when you look at the diversity of jobs and I only listed a couple, there's other jobs too that are just even more incredible to think that they, they waggle and dance and communicate that way that they're so many thousands of years old, but they instinctively know what to do. And they're such a social species. Mm -hmm. Bees are really incredible. And you're incredible for teaching us about bees today. Shannon, I'll get you out of here with this question. Where can my listeners go to learn more about you? Um, well, I am, you know, back to the basics on Facebook. And I always love to share information. Shannon Westall Vecchio. I love it. And I will include links to those uh, references that you made in the show notes. So you're only one click away, listeners, or just check out the, the description. There you go. Well, Shannon, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, teaching us about bees and, and drawing parallels with me to leadership. Thank you, Matt. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Here are my unbelievable top three takeaways from today's episode. One, embrace the learning curve. Like beekeeping, leadership is a deep subject. Commit to making the investment of time and energy required to excel in the craft. Two, seek to create optimal conditions. As a leader, you can't directly control the outcome, but you can take steps to create an optimal environment that will increase your team's likelihood of success. Three, excitement is contagious. Teams can become a buzz, sorry about that, 
with energy and enthusiasm if you let them. Stoke the flames of excitement about your mission and your team achievements whenever you can. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for making this investment your leadership ability, and thanks for sharing this podcast with another aspiring leader who needs to hear it. All right, leaders, until next time, don't just manage the business when you can lead the people. It's a beautiful story if you really think about it.